Welcome to Politics, Culture and Some Other Shit. Before we get to the podcast with Rui Craney, just to let you know, I've just come off, I had a fantastic conversation with a guy called Paddy Fox, who's a member of a group of families who are uh, trying to shine a light and looking for justice, really, collusion between the British government, loyalist paramilitaries, etc., etc. Fascinating man, fascinating conversation. It was was very lucky that Paddy agreed to talk to me. That will be going out next week. And next week I will be talking to Mike Mermika, who is my dear friend. He's a guy that runs a recording studio where my band, The Bonnevilles, record our our albums. But but I'll be talking to him in his capacity. Uh, You may know that he brought some aid over to... He's been back and forward to Ukraine two or three times since the Russian invasion. And uh, I'm going to be talking to him about that. He comes from Ukrainian stock originally. You may have guessed that with his name, Mormika. And I'm hoping that there's going to be two young Ukrainian musicians going to join us for the conversation. Uh, So that's going to be next week as well. So there we go. And of course, I would ask you, as always, to consider joining us on Patreon. Uh, you can get politics, culture and some other shit at Patreon. It's only £3 a month. There's only one tier. You get access to everything. Um, so yeah, so there we go. Meanwhile, Rory Craney. Hey everybody and welcome to Politics, Culture and Some Other Shit. And I'm delighted to be able to talk to, or, uh, well, my friend and uh, all-around political good guy, Rory Craney. Rory is uh, a Sinn Féin activist and he's... A former employee, uh, used to work for the Communications Workers Union, the CWU. He's a founding member of Trade Unionists for a New and United Ireland. Oh, hit my mic. And a current trade union organiser. And he's going to talk to us about, well, general politicky stuff, but specifically, uh, I hope to get a lot of Rory's opinions on the election, the breakdown of it and what's going to happen. Welcome to the podcast, Rory. Thanks, Andy. Good to be back again. Yeah, man, it's. Uh, I'm really delighted that you decided to that you agreed to do this for me. It's a it's a big help to have someone with your uh, political knowledge and insight to help people like me and a lot of my audience break it all down. Well, so there we go. Really, stuff. I, yeah, I, re- well, I really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, you owe me a pint or a coffee or something because yeah. I, I was actually <laughs> after that election, I was completely burned out and didn't want anything to do with politics for months yeah. until Andy McGibbon text me asked me to come on the podcast. So there we go. You've interrupted yeah. a week off yeah. after that grueling yeah. campaign. Sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. So yeah, grueling campaign. You 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 say that yeah. It, I have to say, it was. That was a particularly tough campaign. Like, I've been involved in four or five elections just in the past couple of years, and this one was particularly tough, I think. I don't know why it was. I think, you know, when we were canvassing, we weren't picking up any great appetite for involvement in politics or any particular interest in the election. And we encountered, on one hand, we encountered a lot of apathy out there among, you know, the you know, Sinn Féin, the Republican base there, but also a quiet confidence, I suppose, you know, so we were panicking the whole up whether or not we were able to get our vote out to the same extent uh, as we did back in 2017, and we exceeded that, which was great, but I have to say, a lot of work went into it. These things don't just kind of happen, you know, uh, like a lot of work goes on in the background and a lot of canvassing and a lot of organising and I suppose that was my role. But but the the Lucid Talk poll, Mm -hmm. I mean, the pollsters in the run-up to the election were quite, quite, uh, quite adamant, you know, they they were were certain that Sinn Féin was going to top the poll. Yeah. 
Well, look, they are fairly accurate. I mean, I know a lot of people say, well, don't put your trust in the polls. But I have to say, in, in Ireland, they've been fairly accurate over the past couple of years. You know, the two yeah. exceptions being of the Brexit referendum and Trump being elected in 2016. But see, yeah. apart from that, generally speaking, the polls do detect the broad trends in, in what's happening um, in society and political opinions across society. Like, in the... 2020 general election in the South, uh, another one of, uh, that I was involved in, uh, like the, the polling companies almost picked that up before, uh, you know, our own organization picked up how well we were doing um, across across the 26 counties, you know, and uh, they turned out to be right. And as uh, Lucid Talk and the Irish news polls, that again, they all turned out to be correct as well. And look, we're in a situation now which... Um, it, it's fantastic to see where Sinn Féin, a Republican, is the first could be the first minister of the, this little statelet, where a progressive Republican party is the biggest party in the in this state, as opposed to the reactionary and conservative DUP. I think that reflects well on the people of the six counties, and it, it's a great place to be, and it's where Sinn Féin wants to be. But uh, we're we're not completely there yet because obviously Sinn Féin want to be. In the executive, we want to get the executive up and running to tackle the cost yeah. of living crisis, to tackle hospital waiting lists, uh, to bring to further enhance workers' rights, which we which Sinn Féin have been working on in relation to um, banning zero hour contracts, enhancing collective bargaining, enhancing the right for trade unionists and workers to to go on strike. Um, and we want to get all of those things uh, across the line, and unfortunately, the the DUP are look just from the news today. They look like they're going to be stopping not only the executive sitting, but the the assembly even sitting, which uh, is absolutely outrageous. You know, it's one thing keeping the executive down, and fair enough, you can might argue they have a mandate to do that from their own voters, but they absolutely do not have a mandate to stop the functioning of the assembly and stop the functioning of all the committees in the assembly. So, so just yep. on that, Rory, explain to a lot of the criticism that that is that is headed Sinn Féin's way <laughs> with regards to this, and I know what the difference is, but if you could explain it to uh, our listeners, um, what's the difference between when Sinn Féin brought the executive down and when the DUP is doing it now? Because Sinn Féin brought it down first in the first instance over RHI, and as everybody, I'm sure everybody in the, of all the listeners of the podcast know that that was a real gross example of DUP corruption that would make even Fianna Fáil blush, you know. And, <laughs> and the reality is, like, no government on earth would have survived that crisis, you know. Like, there was no way we could have stayed in the executive when that was going on, uh, shoveling hundreds of millions of quid into the pockets of D DUP supporters and other people. Uh, so no government in the world would have ever accepted that. And the other the other side of that also is just the general d disrespect that the DUP continued to show not only to nationalists and Republicans, but to minorities in general and our LGBT uh, community. So we, we were not only standing up against corruption, we were standing up for the, the rights of Irish speakers, the rights of nationalists and Republican people across the six counties, um, the rights of women, and the just for a, a bit of respect in politics in the North. So it's apples and oranges. Um, and the other instance is we, we didn't stop the assembly functioning. Uh, you know, 
so so like it, it's absolutely not the same thing i don't buy that for a second and i don't think but you do see it you do see that. i i, I see where people are coming from but the other yeah. side of it is look i it was about six months into that stalemate where Sinn Féin and in fairness to the Irish government, uh, they did a, a lot of heavy lifting there as well. It, they came with a proposal to the DUP to get get the, the assembly up and running again, and they blocked it. And they blocked it because they were appeasing the the far right in their own community uh, yeah. because they didn't want any semblance of of recognition of the Irish identity. So Sinn Féin were absolutely ready to go into government about six months into that stalemate and. We wanted to make it work, and even Simon Coveney said that at the time. You know, Simon Coveney, in a contribution to the in the doll um, during the minister's questions, actually said that he has to hand it to Sinn Féin that Sinn Féin bent over backwards to try and get the assembly up and running, and they were met with the intransigence of the DUP. Uh, mm. And Simon Coveney is no fan of Sinn Féin, as you well yeah. know. So it's it's not the same thing, and this is a much more um, structural and epochal and historic crisis we're going into now i think in, in relation yeah. to the north because the dup from what i can read have zero interest in allowing devolution to work again they're going i i think what is going to happen is they're going to stay out of the executive and they're going to keep the assembly down and push for elections every six months <laughs> until yeah. the british government get tired of it i don't know what their end game is because they haven't learned that people in england particularly the tory party don't give a toss about anybody in Ireland. They never have, and they never yeah. will. So I don't know where this leads to. I know where I hope it leads to. Uh, I think if you bring about that political stalemate that Jeffrey Donaldson seems to be intent on bringing about, there are two options left, really. And yeah. I, I think it really focuses in on one option out of that. So like, you, you're looking at you know sec- periods of six months, elections every six months with instability afterwards are the the good friday institutions cease to function and there is direct rule brought about from london but what that and maybe some hardline unionists want to see that happening and that's that's fair enough but the outworking of that from what i can see is that there will be a political vacuum here and more people will start to ask questions about the democratic deficit that exists in yes. the six parties and then that further leads to the question, well, why are we being ruled by England? Uh, why do we not have control of our own affairs? And that yeah. that discussion is only going to lead one way, and that's going to lead towards a referendum on Irish unity. I, I, I agree completely with that. I mean, the, the thing that all, all uh, the, 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 the mismanagement that the DUP have, are guilty of, Mm-hmm. I mean, they must be the worst-led political party in the world. I cannot think of anything. Did you see that little video of George Os- George Osborne? It was it was after um, the the Northern Ireland Protocol was was announced, and the DUP were uh, you know huffing and puffing and all the rest of it. And it, it, one of the commentators had just said that you know the staggering mismanagement of the DUP is is a sight to behold. It is unbelievable, um, and as people, just as you say. We're watching Liz Truss at the minute throw about, uh, threatening to bring down the Northern Ireland Protocol, threatening peace on this island. Just some random English politician that most people on this island wouldn't be able to pick out of a lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, threatening that just to gear uh, to garner headlines for some reason because it's obviously not going to happen because you're talking about threatening trade. The the, the actual 
island economy of of Great Britain, of England, Scotland, and Wales, if that comes down, because the EU will uh, start a trade war, the US will start a trade war. So it's obviously not going to happen. And the longer that this goes on, the, it's only going. It will only lead one direction. People on this in the six counties will. No, I'm out. I have to fuck this. I don't want anything to do with this. These people are mental. That's it. <laughs> I think, and I think people are increasingly uh, moving to that position. And like, even if you tied up those numbers from the assembly election yeah. last week, yeah, you I mean the pro independence movement and the pro unionist movement are pro unionist side are neck and neck really. Like they're about yeah. uh, unionists are about one one percent ahead of people who voted for pro Irish yeah. unity parties. And that's not taking into account the sizable proportion of people that might vote for the Alliance Party or might not vote in elections, but will come out in a referendum. So yeah. I think that there's all to play for. I think we could win the first referendum. You know, if we're starting at a base of 39, 40% before any plans are made, before there's a citizens' assembly to plan for Irish unity, before yeah. the debates have happened, before the arguments have been made, before the economics of it have been has been set out, we're already at 40%. You know, uh, Scotland back in about in the late 2000s, we're, we're at about 20% in support of independence. Yeah. So we're in a good position. You know, yeah. I, I honestly do think like the first referendum could happen in the next five to 10 years. And I think yeah. we could win it, hands down, 60% in favour of Irish unity. Well, well, that's it, and it needs. Well, there's, there's the other thing. I mean, it needs. It's a fifty plus one, right? Because yeah. this whole thing about you know they're they're trying to push it out to sixty percent or seventy percent is bullshit. Um, that we really the, there does need to be a lot of groundwork done. We need to lay. For me, I've I've always said this. Anybody that listens to this podcast will know what my opinion is. For me, the key is a united Irish NHS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you get that, if we secured that on this island. I think it's a, it's a lock-in because the NHS is fucked, as we know. Mm-hmm. We know the state. We know the state it's in. It's far worse in the north of Ireland than it is in anywhere in uh, England, Scotland, or Wales. And if we were to get that, I think that would be the key for me. I, I think that's your that's that, that's that's just your winning ticket right there. Well, see, this is one of the ironic things about the whole Irish unity debate because you know one of these common tropes that are is thrown at. Sinn Féin and the Republican movement by, you know, liberal centre-ground people who say, you know, Sinn Féin's the biggest obstacle to Irish unity. But the reality is, an All-Ireland National Health Service is only going to come about uh, when there's a Sinn Féin government in the, in the South. We're yeah, the, yeah. You know, Sinn Féin has a plan to build an All-Ireland National Health Service. We're the only major party in the South in the last general election that went into that election we're on the promise that we would build a uh, national health service free at the point of need. Uh, Fianna Fáil, the sister party of the so-called Social Democratic and Labour Party, you know, scoffed at our idea and, you know, uh, um, kind of, like, I remember the debate, uh, the, pre- the leadership debate, and Michal Martin was kind of scoffing at the idea of Sinn Féin proposing free GP care, you know, for yeah. uh, for people under 12. And he, was, he said something like, you know, the next thing you'll see Sinn Féin offering free GP care for everybody. Do you know what I mean? But like, of course, <laughs> that's what we want. But, you know, yeah. and like the SLP saying they're a social democratic party aligning themselves with the party like that. But yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. An All-Ireland NHS has to come before a United Ireland happens. I believe that. And it's, 
it's also why I believe and why Sinn Féin believes and why it's part of our overall strategy over the past 20 years is that we want to lead the government in both sides of the border um, in order to bring that about. You know, And I think we've got a very effective spokesperson on healthcare and David Cullinan, and I think he would make a phenomenal um, health minister. And see the thing about the, the NHS as well, and, and you're absolutely right, Andy, about like how much worse than NHS is in the six counties compared to, to England. I mean, like... Outpatient waiting lists are literally about a hundred times longer in the north than uh, than say Liverpool. I heard, and I mean, I, I, I'm not exaggerating. Actually, a hundred times well, longer. I, I heard. I heard someone. A urology is ten years. Ten. You, do you know what I mean? I well, funny. Yeah. I was waiting uh, on an appointment. I uh, for a, a a bit of surgery, uh, and it was that long. I couldn't even remember. Uh, putting in for it. I mean, it was 10 or 15 years ago, and I got a phone call last September uh, saying, oh, we're ready for your, your appointment. We, we can take you tomorrow. I was like, oh, what? what the hell is this about? <laughs> you know, for, I forgot oh, to about it. So that was literally 12 years or so, you know, so there we go. Yeah. But, but, I, but, that, but, that's the, but that's the thing I think, really that people don't understand as well. You know, it's a part of the, the general, I would call it the general ignorance about the political landscape, about what parties are when they identify as a neoliberal they may not say yeah. it out loud but they're 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 they're, they're um if they're enacting neoliberal policies people don't understand that neoliberalism is is a byword for wealth extraction mm-hmm. that's all it is it people don't get it they think people think neoliberal means literally new liberal yeah you know like you're in some sort of a fucking nicey it's literally wealth extraction zero investment zero public space zero commons extract the wealth and make the poor pay for it yeah and that's and that's it that's the whole way the the economy is structured and that's what Sinn Féin wants to achieve in the south and that's what we want to achieve in the six counties but we argue we can only make those structural changes when we're independent and we can elect our own yeah. government and uh, form our own democracy without the interference of, of yeah. british tories and so, so, sorry no go ahead no, just the last point, last point on that just like in terms of the all Ireland nhs like what Sinn Féin has proposed and it's a all of the, these policies and plans that we have to, in relation to healthcare are all costed and they're all, all available on the Sinn Féin uh, website. And they're all extremely affordable because I, I don't think people really understand how much wealth yes. transfer has actually happened, especially during the pandemic. I mean, Pierce Doherty highlighted, highlighted in the doll last year when Oxfam released a report in, into wealth inequality in Ireland. And they reported that the nine richest billionaires in Ireland increased their wealth by 58 percent throughout the course of the pandemic then nine people increased their wealth by about 20 billion euro you know why other people were on you know the the pub payments and are in the north were in furlough there was this massive transfer of wealth but that that happened all over the world it happened all over the world and i don't think people realize the extent to which it happened and the extent to which the how wealthy the richest you know one percent uh, of society really is, yeah. and how much wealth there is to deliver these social programs and good. And, and so it's also one of the things that you know. I've I, I've I've looked at the Sinn Féin manifesto. I actually looked over it on well briefly on one of my podcasts a while back, and the the the, the financial plan for United Ireland is laid out. It's costed Sinn Féin have this costed yeah. already. Now, um, 
obviously it's a plan. It's there to go through. You can go and argue the toss one way or the other. You know, you can. But the fact that it's laid out, that it the the, the groundwork has been done. So whenever you see there was recent polls, um, where they were asking, they would ask people. In the South, do you want to unite Ireland? They say, yes, they say, if it's going to cost you money, do you want to unite Ireland? And a lot of them would back off from that, which I personally find, frankly, fucking disgusting. But nonetheless, uh, it's never pointed out that it is costed and it's not going to cost you money. Yeah, 100%. And, and this is the importance of planning for Irish unity, and it's what Sinn been calling for for. The past, since Brexit happened, really, you know, we've been calling on the Irish government to set up a, an All Ireland Citizens Assembly to start looking into the details of how we plan uh, I, the transition to a united Ireland because we don't want to be in a Brexit situation where it's chaotic and unplanned and lots of unanswered questions when the referendum happens. We want to be people to be going into a referendum in the next five to ten years fully informed about what a united Ireland means, what it means for their pockets, what it means for their health service, what it means for public services, and indeed for our unionist brothers and sisters, what it means yeah. for the British identity on this island and what protections yeah. can be afforded to it. And we, and Michael Martin uh, has been extremely irresponsible in refusing to plan for that eventuality. Yes. Because the thing is, the, ref, the calling of the referendum is not within our gift uh, that lies in with in the that power lies in the hands of an English minister, and they can call it at any time. They could call the bluff of the of the of Sinn Fein, or they could call the bluff of the Irish government over Brexit and just announce a referendum and throw us into an unplanned referendum. And there's nobody else to blame uh, for that other than Michael Martin, who refuses to engage with this, you know. Um, yeah. So it might be more interesting when Faradgar takes over his tea shop in later this year in November, I think he might have a bit of foresight, uh, even selfishly to present himself as the Taoiseach maybe who delivered to United Ireland. Uh, you know, that could well happen. <laughs> you know, yeah. he might do it out of his own selfish interests, but yeah. he might do it anyway. So that, that all might change in, in the coming months, but it's it's about properly planning for it. As you're, you're right, Andy, like Sinn Féin have set out our kind of vision for a United Ireland and our costed vision of, for a United Ireland. But, uh, like, we don't own this debate. We don't own a United Ireland. We recognise, we fair enough, we are the biggest party in the country, but we represent a plurality of people, but we don't represent a majority. We want everybody to take part in this debate. We want yeah. to see other visions for... Uh, for um, Irish you, can't, you can't see it. There are forums, you know, all the time, being uh, talking about a United Ireland, but you would, whenever you listen to... Uh, the the media, let's say that I don't, I don't, I hate using that word mainstream media because it makes always like the, the first person I ever heard saying that was Sarah Palin. <laughs> I don't want to sound like her, <laughs> but whenever you hear mainstream media talking about, and, and you probably uh, have more followers than William Crawley at this stage, on <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. But here, listen, I want to talk to you about so. My takeaway from from we'll talk about uh, uh, the assembly election just for a minute. Uh, my, my three takeaways from the assembly election was one, the shoring up of the Sinn Féin vote, which was impressive. You know, we did Sinn Féin didn't gain any seats, but kept the, the same number of seats from the last time, which is a success by any by anybody's uh, measure. Although to listen to some, you would think it was a failure. Um, the impressive uh, movement of alliance and. 
the although the DUP are still the second biggest party, nonetheless, they're still the biggest unionist party. They're only two two seats down on on Sinn Fein. Um, but with regards to the DUP, the way they're being led by the nose by minor loyalist figures is just absolutely breathtaking. I mean, it is a sight to behold. Yeah, and I, I, as I said earlier, I, I really can't understand what their end game is or what their strategists are thinking. Um, I don't yeah. know why they thought voting supporting Brexit was a good idea. I don't know why they thought supporting yeah. a hard Brexit was a good idea for voting down Theresa May's bills, you know, from the point of view of a, a unionist, of course. You know, I can't understand why they would do that other than, yeah, as you say, chasing after the far right and these yeah. kind of mavericks that not stand on bins outside police stations. Um, but yeah, you're, look, you're right, uh, in terms of Sinn Féin's vote, we've shored up our vote. Our vote is steady. Uh, it has been since 2016, we're dipped a little bit and we lost some ground at people poor profit. And But before that, you know, the general trend of Sinn Féin in the North is we were on the rise and we're sitting in and around the 25% mark and we're not budging from that. And I think that's a real testament to the party and to, to not only to the delivery of good ministers like Connor Murphy or Declan Kearney and, and indeed Michelle's performance over the past while has been exceptional. I think it's more to do with our embeddedness in working class communities that our councillors or MLAs, our ministers are off and by the working class uh, and they live in Kewilkey, they live in Tignavon, uh, you know, our, rep, our reps live uh, where our supporters um, are from. And yeah. that engagement with our base, it just ensures that we continually succeed in those elections. And I think it's a testament to the party. That was then, yeah. By, sorry to interrupt, but by just on that point of the reps living in the area, yeah. by, to contrast that with Emma Little Pangeli being parachuted into uh, uh, Valley or that completely I, I did not see that coming you know? like I, no. I seen that on the news last night and my jaw hit the floor like as I was watching the BBC's coverage of the election results all weekend yeah. and she was on it as a commentator yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. so she clearly yeah. this was happening and said absolutely nothing about it and it's parachuted in there but like just yeah the absolute arrogance and the entitlement of the DEP to even do that, you know, I, I, fair play them for having the brass ball, you know. <laughs> it, listen, it is unbelievable, and, you know, at the end of the day, you do get the politicians you deserve because you, you, you do get to vote for them, and if you vote for that, and that's what they do, and you, and if you're happy about that, if you're okay with that, then well, that's that's your decision, you know. Um, uh, the DUP are, to me are obviously clearly they're clearly, as I call it, just happy to sniff the curtains of the Houses of Commons as as often as they can. That's what their that's what their motivation is. They they they, they like being a part of the British establishment, even yeah. though the British establishment clearly are only using them and have been using Ulster Unionism since its foundation um, to, to suit its own ends. Yeah, it's um, really sad. It's really, I have to say, it is sad sometimes to see people from this island go to Westminster. And, like, I mean, before Christmas there, there was uh, some footage doing the rounds on Twitter of Sammy Wilson speaking into the chamber and, you know, talking about the protocol, which is clearly a very emotive and important issue for British people on, in Ireland. Uh, and the the and the House of Commons was empty. 
Nobody was listening to him. Nope. Nobody nope. cares. And I, just for the life of me, I can't understand why you would want to be part of a union with people that just don't care about you and like actively nope. loathe you. Yeah, you know? so that's it in a nutshell. I mean, not to me. I mean, my my uh, uh, my sort of getting off point with with with, with the with the United Ireland argument. I mean. We can argue about cultural issues. We can argue about financial issues. We can argue. We can argue about anything, and we will. Um, for me, it's just as simple as that. As just as you put it, why would you want to be a part of that thing that clearly doesn't give a shit about you? Whether you're alive, alive, stuffed or dead, doesn't care about your children, doesn't care about your health care, doesn't care about your your children's education, cares about nothing. Your lifestyle, you. You know, absolutely nothing. Why would you want to be a part of that? And if you think that we can't do better yeah. for ourselves, we're uniquely the only people on the planet that can't <laughs> govern themselves. Yeah, that's it. Well put, Andy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, see what springs to mind after the, this election as well is the quote by Manus Reardon. He was the General Secretary of the Communist Party of Ireland and was involved yeah. in... The um, he was believe it or not, he was I think he was actually involved in uh, helping IRA volunteers go over to South, uh, South Africa to uh, uh, train mm. up the African National Congress and the the MK fighters as well. Um, mm. But look, his his quote was always, "You can you can ignore the national question, but the national question will never ignore you." And I think yeah. that's what's happening in right now as well. You know, we had this we spiked a few years ago of. Different parties being elected, like the Green Party and people before profit having a, a, a small surge. And there was an expectation that would take a seat in Derry this year. And that didn't happen. Jerry Carroll's vote in West Belfast collapsed. Uh, the Green Party lost all of their MLAs. Yeah. And, uh, because like the reality is, and I'm sympathetic with their politics, I want a Green New Deal. I'm a socialist. Yeah. I've, like I would always transfer to people before profit when I lived in the yeah. South. And if I lived in Belfast, I would do the same. And I have a lot of sympathy for their arguments. But the reality is, this place is not a normal polity. It's not a normal functioning democracy. We do not have control of our own affairs. And until you address that question head on, you cannot talk about taxation you cannot talk about public ownership of of um, the economy you cannot talk about a green new deal because those decisions are all made in england and yeah. until those parties realize that and grapple with it and are honest with their voters about it like they're going nowhere and see the other big takeaway from this election as well is the this whole narrative about the rise of the alliance party and i congratulate them and i'm glad to see them making inroads to the tep vote and uh, the young lad Owen Tennyson as well getting a seat um, mm. in Upper Van was was good. Obviously, I would have preferred Liam Mackle to get it, but mm. Liam will be back to fight another day, I'm sure. But um, yeah, look, I mean, he seems like a progressive guy, and he seems yeah. genuine. And good to see somebody in their twenties uh, in a in a political position. Yeah. But let's not overestimate, you know, what's happening. So there is this narrative, particularly in the Free State media and the Irish Times, that. You know, people are moving away from "quote unquote" green and orange politics, uh, and that particularly young people are moving away from it and going to the Alliance Party. And that's not true. Like the biggest party among people between uh, between eighteen and twenty four is Sinn Fein. The biggest party in the next age bracket is Sinn Fein. You know, and the and the Alliance Party are like fourth or fifth down the list. You know, so this idea that green, so called green and orange politics, is is gone is is a myth because 77% of people voted for parties 
that have a position on the national question, whether they're nationalist or whether they're yeah. unionist. So that is not going away. That is the foundation of politics in the six counties because of the state um, that it is. So I think the alliance will make a difference. They can maybe force about some changes to the Good Friday institutions and, the stru- and how they operate. Um, but uh, but at some point they're going to have to come out with a position on the national question uh, as well, and I think it's it's it is reflective of the intelligence of voters in the six counties where we are dismissed as you know sectarians and the, the, our elections are sectarian headcounts. You know the people who vote for our parties in the north understand what politics is about and understand yeah. when people are being sold a pub. So you know Sinn Fein don't go into the assembly election with. You know, uh, you know, promising the sun, moon, and stars to voters. You know, we go in, we're realistic with people. We tell people what we actually can achieve in the assembly, in a you know what's effectively a colonial institution controlled by another country. Uh, yeah. We cannot bring about the the proper transformative politics that you can see with Sinn, a Sinn Féin government in the south. You know, we yeah. you know we we're doing our best. I think we've done a, a good bit of work with the. 100,000 homes that we're going to be building over the next 15 years um, through the housing executive. Uh, we've brought about workers' rights. We've increased pay for low-paid workers, you know, but we're always limited uh, by the ambition of the English electorate. And if they have a Tory government, we are limited in what we can do about it. So that even that's going to apply to climate change as well. You know, we are going to be, like our action on climate change is going to be limited by what England allows us to do. You know, we've got a yeah. black grant. We can't increase or, or raise our own taxes. Uh, we can't bring anything into public ownership. We can't bring in about any proper economic planning. Um, so, so, you know, the, the national question is going to have to be uh, tackled when we're yeah. dealing with those things. And it's a credit to young people that they are sticking by Sinn Féin because they aren't brought into this nonsense that you can bring about socialism in the six counties, whether you're under English rule or, you, uh, uh, under English rule, or that you can bring about proper climate action when you're under the rule of English Tories, it's just not possible. And we're not telling people that, we're not blowing smoke up their asses for that. But we will tell people in the South we can do that because it's a sovereign nation. And people understand that. And I, I think that's why people stand by Sinn Féin. That's why people are, increasingly, the younger voters are... The younger voters... The, 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 the younger voters drift, or drift, maybe drift is the wrong word, but their, their move towards Sinn Féin this past decade has been... Uh, it's actually been amazing mm-hmm. I mean, all, all over the island, isn't it? Well, that's fair to say, isn't it? Yep, it is. Where again, where the I, I think in those same categories I outlined earlier, the eighteen to twenty four, and then uh, probably the twenty four to about thirty eight or thirty nine age bracket. Certainly, among younger people, and the latest polls are showing we're fifty percent of eighteen to twenty four year olds. You know, wow, like half of young people are voting for Sinn Féin in the south. Yeah. And it's not anything just because they, they like the look of Mary Lou and, you know, it's yeah. because of their real um, economic hardship in the South right now because people my age are living with their man and dad or they're immigrating yeah. because, yeah. I mean, the the um, ASRI report that came out yesterday that was reported in the Irish Times that the average rent across the free state is one and a half thousand euro a month, and in Dublin it's two thousand one hundred euro a month for rent. Uh, you know, like a massive crisis in living standards that I, 
a generation of young people putting their lives on hold and Sinn yeah. Féin have given them reason to hope and I think that's what our last manifesto in 2020 did you know we promised to build 100,000 public houses across the 26 counties within five years uh, yeah. that would have made a real material difference to, to people's lives and people know that people trust Owen O'Brien they know that he's yeah. an expert in housing they know yeah. that again the class composition of a political party is so important because they know that our reps, our TDs, our councillors are off and by the working class. They're working class, they're farmer factory workers, they're farmer, Pierce Doherty is a farmer construction worker, you know, uh, Matt Carthy, I, 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 like certainly isn't from a political background, our leading figures are from the working class. And I think that resonates with people and they believe us when we say we are going to de- deliver those things um, in government. And, th- and that's I, another thing as well, Andy, sorry to interrupt. Just a, no, 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 this, no. Um, I think what the international left are really missing uh, is an, a proper analysis of Ireland and an appreciation of what's actually going on in Ireland. You know, you look if you read the left magazines like Tribune or Jacobin or Monthly Review, uh, you would think that the left are completely defeated the world over. And to a lot, to, in a lot of countries, that is the case. But they always overlook Ireland. You know, the biggest political party in Ireland is a member of the GUI NGL, the Nordic Green Left Group in the European Parliament, where left wing were ready to. Uh, to, to build a massive public housing program or ready to uh, bring parts of childcare into public ownership and, and decrease the cost of childcare. Um, we're going to bring about a universal free healthcare. And this is kind of just overlooked yeah. by the Jacobin left. Well, and, you know, I, do and, it, I do find it interesting what's going on in France at the minute after uh, Macron. I don't know if you know this, but after Macron obviously won the election with a runoff with Marine Le Pen, <laughs> the, the, the four main leftist parties who if they had of unified under one uh uh the 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 socialist party uh i can't remember melanchon is it yeah um the 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 socialist party leader if they had of unified under him they you would now have a socialist president of france but those four parties have recognized just i heard this just yesterday the day before you probably know this um they've recognized um that they cut their own throats Mm-hmm. And they're now there's now uh, there's a, a, a is, there's another election happening in a couple of months, and they're all going to back Melanchon. Good, I didn't know that. Uh, that's yeah, that is it's, um, yeah, it's not for the presidency; it's for the other house or whatever. So they're going to back the 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 they 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 came together after the election. They realised what they'd done. Thank God, it's taken them long enough, and they're going to back the the, the so the communists, the socialists, the greens, and some other socialists are going to back the one candidate. Brilliant. I didn't know that. Well, yeah. there we go. And what is it that Melanchon missed out by 2% behind yeah. the pen? You know, heartbreaking stuff for the left and it, it really, and if they had of, if they had of, I mean, it was obvious that, that was going to happen. I mean, even people like me could say, oh, you're not doing this again for fuck's sake. Yeah. And they did it. And then you, you're obviously going to end up with a runoff between Marine Le Pen. And then Melanchon's going to have to tell his voters to back fucking Macron. Yeah, that's it. Which he did. Uh, I know, and that's interesting to see where that ends up because there's obviously a, a, li- a short lifespan on that type of politics in, in general in France where, you know, you, ha- you have the extreme centre on one side and then a fascist on the other side and you have to choose between them two. And, yeah. you know, it was only so long that the, the centre, like the likes of Macron or indeed Britain, Keir Starmer or whatever, that 
there's only so long that they can appeal to people to support them by saying, oh, the the fascists are worse than us. You know, because at the end of the day, it's them that are, it's the centre that has undermined people's living conditions. It's the centre that has undermined workers' rights, privatised public services, brought about wars across the world. Uh, And, you know, and that's the lived experience of people. And I, that's what I fear is that they're going to continue with that negative politics of, you know, well, we're not as bad as the Nazis, so vote for us. And eventually, you know, you, you could be in the, with a situation where the Nazis will win, you know, and that's a depressing yeah. side on left, unless the left, as you say, gets well, together and uh, offers people, you know, something to hope for. And I think Sinn Féin have done that in Ireland. They've said in this podcast yeah. before that Sinn Féin have stripped away any potential of a far right in Ireland because we have channeled nationalism and disc and working class anger and discontent in a progressive direction and given people hope. You know, yeah. um, we haven't. Well, whatever, I, I think whenever you end up with that extreme center, Rory, I think what happens is you tend to that that Overton window definitely shifts rightwards. Yes. So when I and it's the it's to me it's the liberals that sort of, um, uh, they create the foundation for that. They, you know, it's like you know the right want the bomb, the left don't want the bomb, and the liberals come in and go, well, we can have a little bit of bombing. You yeah. know, that sort of, and and everything just moves a little bit to the right every time when when you end up with uh, uh, as you call it there the extreme center yeah everyone yeah. just moves right yeah that was Tariq Ali's quote <laughs> from his book so I'll take yeah, that from that one, but yeah. it's a, it's a, I always use the term now the extreme center yeah yeah it's uh, perfect but it, I do I do find that interesting as well um it's whenever whenever you hit the the language that's that's used in uh, by our media class they call people like Jeremy Corbyn extremists. Yeah. You know, yeah. people who are into peace, people who are into providing public health care, people who are into providing public housing, taking ownership of uh, commodities for which benefit, for example, with, as we're in a cost of living crisis at the minute, electricity in France only went up by 4% because the French state owns 51% of EDF, whereas... We all know what's happened to electricity, gas, coal, and oil on these islands. Uh, and if we had public ownership, it wouldn't have happened. That you could, you could, you know, you could literally help out in a practical. Yeah, and and, that, and that actually brings you into the again bringing it back to the Irish Unity thing and this whole fake idea that the Irish Unity debate is just about identity, but like this is a real social and economic issue that has real impact yes. on working class people because you're talking about France, sir, who have public ownership of energy and we're able to cap prices at four percent again we can't do that in the north because we're we don't, we're not a sovereign country we're not we don't have elect our own government we can't make those decisions because they, those decisions are made for us by people in england and yeah. we need to be honest with people about that we need to tackle that and we need to challenge that idea that this is not an important issue for people's uh, living standards because it absolutely yeah. is because i believe that Irish unity is an opportunity to build a new country and to really uh, set out those demands for, you know, better public services and public ownership of industries and public ownership of our natural resources, which Sinn Féin has always called for. Um, They are, they are not just identity issues and that needs to be challenged from now on. Well, as you say, I mean, to, 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 to distill, um, all our issues in, on 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 the island, but in the north here in particular, to distill all our problems down to 
you know, the, the, the trope almost at this point of green and orange politics is a nonsense. It's not to say that some people don't play that card or don't use that. They do, of course. We can see it all the time. But on on the on on the issue of of but you're talking about self governance is basically what it is you know you can you can bypass if you don't like using the words of national identity or orangeism or greenism or whatever you can just talk you can just use the word self governance instead the people of britain were unhappy at the thought of other people telling them what to do yeah just a few years ago and and cut their own throat i'm not saying that my argument for Brexit, or my, my 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 opinion on Brexit, is I have absolutely no problem if you want to Brexit or, or exit or any other country exit, but you got to lay out what it looks like. Yes, you can't just go into it the way they did, and that then that sort of ties in with our point about with your point about preparing for a United Ireland referendum. If we go into this the Engl- the way the English went into Brexit, we're fucked. Yeah. Yeah, we are. That's you know? it. And it, oh, hopefully it, will probably, it won't happen uh, because I do believe in the next three or four years, Mary Lou McDonald is going to be the Taoiseach. And the, yeah, one yeah. of the priorities of Sinn, a Sinn Féin government is the, the immediate establishment of an All-Ireland Citizens' Assembly to start planning for Irish unity. We're, we're taking this really seriously and we're going to make sure that we don't repeat the mistakes of Brexit. Okay, well, here, listen, just on that, um, you, you can expand on that if you want, because I did get a question uh, on my Patreon. Uh, by the way, everybody, you can head over to my Patreon if you want to support the podcast. It's only £3 a month. Um, you get loads of extra stuff. Um, so uh, Gary M, uh, you sent a question. What are Sinn Féin's chances of leading the next government in the South? It's not an, an inevitability. It's no. it, it's everything to fight for. Uh, we are knack and knack with the Conservative parties. Fair enough. We are, we have a plurality of support. We uh, the last poll I think we're at thirty five percent, which is a phenomenal achievement for a party of the left in Ireland. Uh, but again, it's not enough to form a government on our own. Unfortunately, the Conservative parties of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are and the Greens are still hovering in around between forty five and fifty percent. Uh, so, so what, what, what about alliances and what about coalitions and for Sinn Féin? Yeah, so look, first of all, I think Sinn Féin are in a position now that we want to be going into the next general election, fighting that election on the basis that we're going to form a government on our own and we're going to lead yeah. a government and form a majority government. Uh, well, you, you, you'll, you'll run enough ministers. We, we'll be running enough candidates this time. <laughs> yeah. <Fair enough>. yeah. <laughs> we'll be running enough candidates this time to make sure we yeah. can do that and we can credibly argue yeah. that we, we'll have enough TDs yeah. to, to form a government. And if that doesn't transpire, that's grand. But our our preference would be to lead a party of the left, you know, and that would include the Social Democrats and hopefully pe- people before profit and other progressive forces in Irish politics. But our priority is to maximize the Sinn Féin vote and lead a, lead a government. In terms of our chances of it, I think I think it's going to happen. I don't think it's inevitable. Um, I think we have a lot of work so, to do. But, but, but I think would, would you get would you get over the line with if, if you went into coalition with with those parties, would it be enough there, do you think? As it stands judging by those let's, articles, say, let's say you got thirty five. Let's say you got thirty five percent as you're sitting now, that would you would you get over the line with that? Would you not well, the other left parties aren't doing as well. So the realistic scenario would probably be Sinn Féin leading the government and potentially uh, Fianna Fáil as a junior partner. Uh, that's what I would put my money on happening, just with the way the figures are happening. I mean, look, my prediction... And would Fianna Fáil do that? 
I think if they oust Michal Martin, they will. Yeah, I think there's a contingent of Fianna Fáil that are kind of sympathetic to Sinn Féin voters. Not they certainly they hate us as a party, but they're sympathetic to the to our voters, and they come from kind of the same type of communities. Yeah. I think there there's a group of them around maybe Jim O'Callaghan and Eamon O'Keefe that might be open to coalition with us. But it'll be it's again. I've, it will, we'll, we'll soon see after the next election. I used to be absolutely categorically opposed to any sort of coalition with Fianna Fáil, but that was on the basis that Fianna Fáil were always the bigger party. Now we're in a position yeah. where Sinn Féin probably will be the biggest party, and yeah. we need Fianna Fáil to make up the numbers. And you wouldn't end up with a, t- a tail wagging the dog situation? No, no, no this, this is where it comes down to building a social movement and building a vibrant party of Sinn Féin, you know, that we need to build a a good activist base to have social power to deliver the changes that we want to see. So I I suppose the challenge I've been putting to Sinn Féin activists that I encounter is that we need to have a number of sort of red line issues uh, when we go into government. So what are our key aims? And for me personally, I argue it would be an all-around national health service, 100,000 public homes, and a referendum on Irish unity. And they're yeah. the three things that we need to achieve. That's our benchmark for success. And we achieve those things. That's brilliant. We last in five years, if it's with ourselves or with Fianna Fáil or with the Social Democrats or whoever. Then we go back to the electorate in five years' time saying, we've delivered the public housing that we promised. We've delivered the referendum on Irish unity or the planning for Irish unity. We've delivered a national health service now we're going to do these following things again, you know, yeah. and g- give us another chance and hopefully build them. I, I will, I will say this, Rory. Um, I do. Uh, the, the thing that I'm personally fearful of, if if Sinn Féin do get into government and they don't, they aren't able to deliver, especially the public housing thing. I, I you know, I could see then the next election after that, Sinn Féin's vote collapsing and the same. FFFG coalition taking over for another fucking yeah yeah that, that's that's a real danger it's a real danger and again it's uh, even more motive for people to get involved in politics and to join Sinn Féin yeah. and be part of that movement for change across our island uh, yeah. the, the difference between between say what happened with Labour in the south is again it's class composition you know the Labour Party are made up of academics and you know middle class professionals Whereas Sinn Féin are made up of the working class and they live in working class estates and they're nowhere near as likely to betray the working class as Labour did. I just could never imagine a scenario where Sinn Féin would introduce water charges or cut single parents allowances the way Joan Burton did. You know, that it's just that isn't going to happen. And again, we're not in the same uh, conditions you know we're not in a european union imf bailout anymore uh, so we have a lot more leeway and also the eu's physical rules don't apply anymore so there's a lot more scope for public spending public borrowing um interest why rates. Is that, why is that why, why do the fiscal rules not apply they, they they relaxed them for the pandemic and they're so yeah the you know the the public de- uh, the debt ratio and the yeah, the yeah. deficit ratio and all that doesn't apply right now. Yeah. It's a temporary measure, but like we have a lot more scope than previous government governments did. Uh, look, if you're asking me, like I can categorically guarantee you that Sinn Féin will deliver the 100,000 houses. We can't not. You know, we've our entire uh, 
messaging in the south and our, our identity in the south now is built around public housing and if we don't deliver that yeah you're right we will be that's amazing, that's amazing too because the, yeah. the parallel of what happened in the 60s in the north was started yeah. with public housing exactly that's it <laughs> down to housing <laughs> and, and, and it like, is amazing that's it's it. a bread and butter issue it's you know it's you know you know quoting john hume you can't eat a flag it is a bread and butter issue it is and that's it on the previous Social movements in Irish history, the, the Land League was based on housing, access to land. You know the wow. the, the the Dublin yeah, the Dublin uh, housing action campaigns in the sixties that Sinn Fein were involved, like Sinn Fein and uh, the Republican movement were involved in. Mm-hmm. You know the the campaigns against the tenements in Dublin. You know, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Like Irish, the whole Irish national liberation struggle has always been tied to real. Uh, economic issues to do, like it doesn't happen out of thin air. You know, movements like independence movements or national liberation movements don't happen because somebody reads a book and the likes the tales of Cúhollán and Finn McCool. It's because you know they believe that these things, they pursuing national liberation, can actually make their lives better. And Ireland's well, no exception to that. Well, exactly, and it's it's also you know, it, and I know that that the, the the current governments, the current government in the south. Made lots of promises about building public housing, and and I know, I I read a particular, I think I, read, I did read it out on one of my podcasts, where there was a, a young couple, I think it was outside Kilkenny, mm-hmm. there was a there was a stack of housing. First of all, a tranche of land was given away to mm-hmm. the developer. They were supposed to build so many social houses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Young couple who were just one example, said I think there was only two hundred houses built. They bought. They put the deposit down off plan and then thinking they were going to move into their 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 forever home and they had their whenever the the, the estate was uh completed their deposit was returned and all the houses were sold off to a cuckoo fund yeah <laughs> yeah it's like it's hopeless in the south it really is the way it is but i i don't know i lived in it about a year yeah. ago and had to move home again like the housing situation there is just utterly hopeless and you have no hope of owning your own home and yeah you as you say you're competing with these cuckoo funds and these massive american canadian landlords that right. of- tell me this Rory, if you can answer that because somebody asked me this and i actually couldn't give them an answer why would the why would a developer have a preference as to who he sold the house to it's not that he he has a preference. It's that they're buying them in bulk, and you know, so like it's just easier for a developer to deal with one customer rather than two hundred customers. They're, you know, oh, and you get right. the you get yeah, the houses yeah. sold off in one go. And then there's all sorts of tax implications as well. Again, other work that Pierre yeah. Starty has done and uncovered that you know the Fianna, success of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael governments have actually given tax breaks to these kind of deals where they don't pay corporation tax, they don't pay capital gains tax the way normal you know, people like me and you when we're buying a house we have to pay taxes. Yeah. They, these multinational corporations uh, are they, they're not uh, charged these, these taxes so they can uh, one hand washing the other basically isn't it it is it is and and it's complete it's total ideology as well like you you made the point there about you, you know Fianna, the Fianna Fáil minister Dara O'Brien uh, pursuing his own public housing program and it, it was nothing of the sort it wasn't public housing uh, he was promising to build about a hundred thousand houses but those promises were not within his gift to deliver because it all relied on the private sector, you know, and like a, yeah. 
it, it's it was all left up to private developers and to the whims of the market to Michael deliver Michael Gove did exactly the same thing in England. Yeah. yeah. You know, he was questioned. He was questioned there during the week. I saw him being interviewed, making a complete arse out of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the interviewer put the same thing to him. He they promised 300,000 houses during the election. And then the interviewer says, where's the houses? Because I haven't built any. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And uh, we're in a similar, similar situation in Ireland as well, uh, where you're just shoveling public money and public land into the, the ownership of private developers and private individuals. But see, kind of, kind of coming back to a point that we, we were talking about earlier, um, I think, see, when it comes to housing, I think the beauty about Irish politics right now is that real change is right on hand. You know, like there is, there's a lot of people on the left who dismiss electoral politics. And, you know, yeah. and there is an argument for that if you're in America and Britain, you know, where there is absolutely no hope politically for the left whatsoever. But and you're seeing the union movement uh, yeah. taking giant strides there. Sorry? You're seeing the union movement take giant strides, especially yeah, in the Yeah, US. that's it. Yeah, and yes, there is an argument for that, and I agree with the argument in, in America. And the, as, as you said, there's been some great fact, union victories against Amazon and uh, other big, big employers in America. But it, it's not the case that electoral politics doesn't matter in Ireland, and we can deliver real change in Ireland, uh, unlike anywhere else in Europe, you know. So, like, a left-wing party is on the cusp of power in the South and they're going to deliver public housing and make real change to people's lives. And even, like you said uh, earlier about whether or not Sinn Féin will will deliver in government and will actually deliver the 100,000 houses that we're promising. And that in itself is going to be a really fascinating battle, you know, when when Owen O'Brien goes into the housing ministry and comes up against the resistance of uh, yeah. the civil servants. Like yeah. that, that is going to be a fascinating power struggle between Sinn Féin and our support base and the civil service and corporations on the other hand. So, you know, voting matters that, in Ireland more so than any other country in Europe at the minute. And That statement in and of itself, Rory, is ab- that you just, what you just said there. I, people don't understand that. Yeah. They don't, I genuinely don't think that people get it. That when a minister takes over a portfolio, he goes into a, 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 an office and has to tell people who are a part of the establishment that we're not doing this anymore. We're going to do this instead. Yeah. That's it. And the kickback, the kickback that you're going to get from that is is going to be mighty. Yeah, that's it. We are going to come up against a lot of resistance, and we're under no no illusions about that. Uh, but the other, the thing that Sinn Féin has going for it is that we've got an active party and a, an active support base, and there would, you know, our, our ministers would not get away with not challenging uh, entrenched power when when yeah. we're in in uh, when we have the housing ministry or the finance yeah. ministry. And look, yeah. I, I think the prospect of Owen O'Brien as housing minister and Pierre Stoherty as finance minister is probably sending a lot of the civil service, the higher echelons of the civil service, into absolute panic mode. Uh, you know, yeah. because they're they're going to have to shift their entire ideology as well because that neoliberal ideology is absolutely embedded in the Irish state and it, it goes back even before Thatcherism because Ireland was practicing Thatcherism before Thatcher was even born. You know, this is like this type of free market uh, non-interventionist economics is absolutely embedded in the Irish state and that's a century in the making 
and Sinn Féin is going to have to undo that within five years. So big challenge. Yeah. We're under under no illusions yeah. about the challenges we face, like you know. But yeah. I think we we are not in any way comparable to the Labour Party, as I said, because of our class composition, because our our TDs and our ministers would be off the working class. Um, so it's not going to be the the same dynamic. I think we are going to be honest with what we can deliver. You know, I would love to go into the next election saying we want to deliver free uh, f- free education for everybody right away and we want to deliver free public transport for everybody and invest in high-speed rails to Donegal. But, like, we, there's only so much we can achieve in five years and our priorities at the minute are healthcare and uh, and public housing, along with, with Irish unity. And if we achieve yeah. those two or three things within five years, well, that's a good five years uh, well, well spent, yeah. and that's a massive difference that's, to people's that's lives. Obviously, that's obviously a base then. I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a huge base then to, 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 for going forward for hopefully a decade or two of, 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 of transformative change on the island. Yeah. Um, and the young, you know, the, 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 how anyone in the South can vote for... Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. I, I remember I was I was listen, I was listening to some uh, typical establishment bullshit where they were they, they were saying about you know people don't these kids these young people don't understand what the Sinn Féin did in the north in the, in the nineteen eighties. Well, first of all, I would say you don't understand. <laughs> exactly. What you don't understand what you're fucking talking about. First start, and second of all, some fucking twenty two year old doesn't give a shit. If there's a political party that's saying, listen, we're going to build social housing, we're going to get this market under control that you can have the social mobility that modernity is supposed to that's supposed to bring you that, that you that that you will never experience, we're going to deliver that to you. Yeah. That's it. And who's you going to vote for? That's it. And it's it's ironic that pe- people of a generation that tolerated section 31 <laughs> censorship uh, <laughs> saying that, they, they, that young people don't know what happened in the north and look, the reality is again like young people in the south are uh, some of the most educated in the world and politically engaged and yeah. they are progressive and they know full well what happened in the conflict in the north and they know that terrible things happened on on, on all sides committed by all sides uh, but they know there was a context to it all and that context was colonialism and people are talking about that again that the previous generation were afraid to talk about so they're more politically engaged and this is the generation remember not only that supports Sinn Féin and broke the two-party conservative system in 2020 they're they're also the generation that brought about marriage equality and abortion reform in Ireland you know so this is this is not a constituency to be trifled with you know um yeah Yeah. well here Rory just um We'll finish up. We're just sort of tipping over the hour mark, which is good for a podcast, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just um, we'll finish up just a wee bit about the, the North, at the, uh, what's mm-hmm. going on. Um, do you think there's going to be another election in a few months? It's it's looking that way. I think that's what the DUP strategy is. I think they're probably going to... Will they have a strategy, you think? <laughs> well, that's what you want to call it. It's <laughs> I licking their finger and sticking it in the wind and see what they're going to go with that. But yeah, I think yeah. there could be another election later this year. Unfortunately, obviously, the rest of the parties are ready to do work and get on with the businesses business of <laughs> delivering for people. But the DUP are blocking it. And again, I think that this is a big challenge for other people in civic society. And, you know, you, you see this narrative in the North 
from kind of liberal types and civic organizations saying, you know, the politicians must get to work and sort it all out. It was on the news last night, some of the some of the health um, healthcare representatives saying that. But they were saying politicians as, uh, you know, a catch-all term. But the reality is it's only the DEP that's the problem party, like Sinn Féin, Alliance, People Before Profit, the, Inferno, the Ulster Unionists, SDLP, they're all ready to go into the Assembly and do their work. It's the DEP blocking it. And that needs to be called out by civic society as well, that these people are holding the rest of society to ransom, and that's unacceptable, and not calling them out and not naming them for what they are does a disservice to everybody else that wants to bring about progressive change yeah. in the island. That's, 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 that's an absolutely fair point. I, I couldn't disagree with that. Um, the uh, Do you think, just, I, I'm, I know I'm asking you to look into a crystal ball, say there's another election in six months, uh, would you expect the Sinn Féin vote to hold up and would you expect uh, the DUP vote to remain the same or would they gather, garner back some of those votes that they lost, the likes of TUV and maybe Alliance? I, I think it'll be much the same, Andy. Uh, I do. Um, I don't think the bogeyman of Sinn Féin being the first minister or being the biggest party is going to resonate as much in the unionist community because it's happened now and the sky didn't fall in. So that's not going to have as much currency in the next election as it did previously. I think Sinn Féin's vote will hold up. I think there there are a lot of people that voted for us this time that never voted for us before. Um, I hope they stay with us. I think the yeah. Sinn Féin has every potential of, of keeping those voters in the next election because if there's another election, it will be on the DUP. It won't be on any other party. And as I said, people aren't stupid. People know that who the problem party is. So I think Alliance might continue to make a few um, a few more gains. I think they seem in a pretty good trajectory and fair play to them for that. I hope people before profit don't continue to decline their vote. You know, I, I was getting nervous there. You know, between when the last seat in West Belfast was between Jerry Carroll and one member of the SDLP, and I would want to hear that the CDSDLP get the seat off them because, you know, now you, West Belfast can claim the mantle of being the most progressive constituency in Ireland for Sinn Féin MLS, a Sinn Féin MP, and a people people before profit um, MLS. We're doing all right and up in the Falls yeah. Road, you know. Um, so I, I hope that you, you know that people before profit say there. I think they have a valuable contribution to make to northern politics, and in fairness, they take a position on the national question as well. They're pro Irish unity. I hope the Green Party come back. It's it's bad that we're in a climate crisis. And there are no Green Party uh, MLAs in Stormont. But again, the Green Party have to look at their own actions. Maybe people don't trust them because of what they're doing in the South and the lack of climate action there. And they're propping up a Conservative government. So they need to ask what direction they're going in. Are they going to be a, a party that delivers working people? Are they going to be a party that tinkers on the edges of a neoliberal system? And I suppose the other fascinating thing about another election would be you know what's going to happen with the sdlp uh, they don't seem to be going anywhere i mean colin eastwood is uh, like uh, he's a horrendous leader uh you know even from the sdlp's point of view and i think it speaks volumes of where the sdlp is at that there isn't his leadership hasn't even called into question because they know there's a lack of talent or a lack of uh, lack of capacity there for anybody else to to lead the party. So the SDLP are in, I think, are in terminal decline. They're 
you know, they're a party with no message, with no clear ideology, no clear principles, because, you know, they call themselves Social Democratic and Labour, but, you know, they have an alliance with Fianna Fáil on one hand. You have Claire uh, Hanna, the South Belfast SDLP MP, campaigning for Fine Gael, the Irish Tories. You know, she, she campaigns for the Tory party oh, in the South. Oh, well, you know, oh, and then you have Ivana Bacic. Uh, from Labour coming up to canvas for the SDLP. So who are they? What do they stand for? You know, um, and they don't seem to really know, you know, what direction. Are they going to be a mild version of Ian 2 that are anti-choice and Catholic? Or are they going to be something like the Irish Labour Party in the South? And they can't answer that question. Um, so I think that's really interesting. I, ho- I hope they continue to decline because I think for too long they've been presented as a progressive political party where they're not, they're they're conservative. As I said, to support Fianna Fáil, a conservative party that has undermined social democracy in Ireland, you know, that oppose the right to, for trade unions to organise and to collectively bargain, oppose free healthcare. Yeah. So I don't see where they're social democratic. And, you know, so and the other thing is people in the North, I think, have a bigger vision for society. And they aren't interested in voting for a small regional party, you know, when you've got a national party in Sinn Féin to vote for. Uh, so that's going to be interesting where, to see where, where they go, if anywhere. Uh, but, yeah, look, I think the result will be overall pretty much the same. Alliance might make a few more gains into the um, into the SDLP's vote. And the TV, I don't know, maybe they could come back next time with... Uh, with another another MLA, I was kind of hoping somebody else would win there just for the sheer entertainment of another every night <laughs> scripture in the middle of a debate installment. You know, did you see that photograph of Jim Allister? Uh, fantastic, up? fantastic! Some memes were amazing. <laughs> Uh, it's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable. I, it, I I was on a Reddit forum and uh, I was on myself. Oh, were you on it? <laughs> someone was. There were people were were photoshopping the hell out of that photograph. <laughs> Photoshop. It was and it was a good one. It was there was a forum called Photoshop Battles. It's going to have to do with Northern Ireland or politics or whatever. It's <laughs> it's just random people. So someone just went, look at this Northern Ireland politician. Go to work, boys. Here, Rory, I think that's a good place to uh, to pull the plug on this, mate. No um, thank you so much no worries for giving me an hour and a bit of your time. I really appreciate it. How's Rachel? She's doing well. I, um, we both had COVID and like she's been uh, negative for about a week, but she's still coughing away. So I don't uh, know what the hell that is about. But no, other than that, she's doing <clears throat> she's doing grand, and we're in the final trimester now, so we're fucking yep. on the home straight, yeah. Andy. So, yeah, 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 yeah. As, um, yeah, Rachel, um, Rory's partner is currently pregnant, as you probably guessed. Yeah. Dear listener. <laughs> um, listen, thanks so much. Uh, best of luck going forward with uh, with your 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 new path, your new trajectory. Thank you. Um, um, maybe whenever you're settled in, hopefully we'll say no more about that. But when I, when I, hopefully if you're get settled in, in a few months, you can maybe come back on and give us a bit more of your wisdom and um, your your political insights and, and a course in fatherhood or something. You know, <laughs> and a course in fatherhood. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Actually, you're about to hit two big fucking milestones in your life. At the same time. I know. Like like life isn't busy enough, and you still playing away on the guitar. Rui's a great guitar player, by the way. Everybody's check him out on uh, Instagram. 
Thank you. And Facebook as well, Rory Craney Guitar. <laughs> so uh, it's going yeah. all right. I'm starting to pick up a few gigs here and there. I've actually, um, I'm, I, not, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not working for Sinn Féin at the minute. I'm just, uh, next couple of months, I'm going to be spending just trying uh, to do music full time. You know, yeah. so uh, yeah, like obviously it's fairly unique type of music as instrumental guitar. So there's a fairly limited niche market for it. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I, well, I, there's, there's mates of ours, String Ninjas, I know it's a different thing, but it is instrumental stuff, but they're, it's a group piece. Hi, they're a great band, love them. We're playing a gig with them on Sunday, actually. Oh, um, yeah, uh, so yeah, well, listen, man, best of luck with that, and uh, I'll get you that pint as soon as you're uh, you're, you're, you're COVID-free. Good times, I look forward to it, yeah, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get around to the Woodville next week sometime. Absolutely, looking forward to it. <laughs> all right buddy all Listen, right. give him a love to Rachel well, and, uh, everybody else. thank you bye. bye all the best take care man bye Amor. so there we go what do you think of that I hope you enjoyed it Rui's a great guy and he really knows his onions um, lucky to have him uh, don't forget I'm going to be dropping that interview chat with Paddy Fox about the collusion thing next week and I'm going to be talking with Michael Mormika and hopefully a couple of Ukrainian refugees um, so if you have any questions for Mike and the, the, the two young people about the, their situation or where they've come from, where they're going, what they hope, etc, etc, please fire them my way. You know how to get in touch with me. Twitter, Instagram or best of all, Patreon. Uh, and I will happily put them to the guys. So thanks for, the, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, catch you on the next one. Bye.